0: I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. All right, welcome to Getting Into It With Grant. If you've been keeping up with the news, you will have heard about our new candidate for AI overlord, which is ChatGPT. ChatGPT is the latest buzzword in tech, so we're going to talk about it in this episode mainly because i'm a little worried about society's response to it but i also happen to think it's cool and so i wanted to learn a little bit more about it and so i did and want to share what i've learned with you all but before we talk about it let's talk about society i'll start off with a quote from the great arthur c Clarke. he once said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and my personal opinion is that there's a lot of wisdom in what he said So as we dig in here, remember that quote, because you've probably heard the term magic used a lot in conjunction with technology. I myself have too. As a computer engineer, back when I was working on physical circuit boards, when a microchip was overvolted and blew up on the circuit board, we'd sometimes say jokingly, oh no, the magic smoke was let out. And uh, perhaps if someone has ever asked you how your cell phone works, you may have even joked and and waved your hands around and said it it works through magic, right? It's a hand wavy explanation of details when we're not quite qualified or secure talking about the specifics of that topic, but it gets people to move on in the conversation to the, the more relevant things we're trying to talk about. So to illustrate Arthur C. Clarke's quote, I'm going to have to use an example as I build up to the topic of AI and machine learning later in this episode. Now, my concern about society is, I think, the vast amount of ignorance that there is about how technology works. We take insanely complicated technologies like GPS for granted. And GPS is actually going to be my example here. It's because we use the interface to a device pretty easily, because it has a good interface that was designed to be easy to use, that some of us have fooled ourselves into thinking that we understand how technology or the science behind something works. And that's certainly not the case. I see it every day at work from people who utilize systems that me or my team have built and designed, where they think they understand how it works under the hood. And sometimes there's an immense amount of complexity that's hidden from the user, and you would need a lot of training in engineering in order to understand how it works and why certain decisions were made under the hood. And you can see some of these complexity decisions or concerns, rather, by looking at the amount of staff that it takes to run some of the the tools that you're used to, right? Let's take Facebook or Meta, I guess, uh, as an example here. It has over 50,000 employees. Salesforce has over 75,000, and until recently, Twitter had over 7,500. So These numbers have clearly changed since the beginning of the year when all of these major companies have been laying people off. But think about it. What are all these people doing? Well, they're not doing nothing. I can assure you that, at least on the Salesforce side. We're all doing things that are important to the health of the business and to build and maintain and operate a lot of the software that is driving the business. And so given the simple to use interface of some of these applications like Twitter, you know, there's just a lot of complexity there that we as customers are not exposed to, but you can kind of infer that it's pretty complicated by the number of people that it takes to operate and run and maintain solutions of that magnitude. And so the same thing is true for many of the technologies that we use that have a simple user face, but really a ton of complexity underneath the hood. So let's take GPS as an example, like I said, we would to discover the complexity of how it operates. And some of you may already know this, but without the theory of general relativity, the GPS on your phone or in your car or other devices just wouldn't work at all. In order to calculate your position on the Earth, we have to have very, very precise ways of measuring time, like down to 20 to 30 nanoseconds of accuracy. And that's how we can triangulate a position between your location and satellites in the sky. And so great, that doesn't seem too complicated, right? We got engineering solutions and equations and math and all sorts of stuff that we can use to build a super accurate clock. But this is where the complexity comes in. Did you know that clocks don't always tick at the same rate everywhere in the universe? Like think about how hard that makes this problem to solve. There are in fact two effects of relativity that we need to consider before we can even build a clock accurate enough for GPS to function let alone launching a satellite into outer space and communicating with it, right? The first aspect of relativity here is the reference frame. Because from your perspective, you're standing still on the earth watching the GPS satellites in the sky move, that means the GPS satellites clock will tick more slowly than your own. That's called time dilation. The moving object in a reference frame experiences time dilation. So that's about 7 microseconds slower, or 7,000 nanoseconds, which already breaks the necessary accuracy needed for GPS if we don't take it into consideration. But because the GPS is farther away from the Earth than you are, it should actually tick faster. And that's because objects closer to a massive object like the Earth will have their time pass more slowly. In other words, because you're close to the Earth and the GPS satellite is farther away in orbit, your clock's going to tick slower. So again, thanks to general relativity, we know that the GPS clock will take about 45 microseconds faster than your clock. So now subtract those numbers. 45 minus 7 is 38 microseconds or 38,000 nanoseconds. And that's how much slower your clock is than the satellites. And without considering those facts and without controlling the orbit of the satellite, GPS just doesn't work. So let me tell you, when I drive down the road and my GPS isn't working, I call it a piece of junk. How on earth does it not know where I am? we completely discard the miracles of science that went into making it function at all. And it's easy to forget all the beautiful complexity behind technology. But at the same time, none of this is magical, even if it may seem so from time to time, especially for people who don't know all of the effort that went into making these products work. So, going forward and understanding that ChatGPT is a tool like GPS, it is complex but not magical. It has a very limited and defined purpose that we're going to get into. Try not to over attribute or overthink what ChatGPT is capable of, right? Like, we don't want to give it omniscient powers or think that this thing is smarter than it actually is. And also, I want to add here, if you're a specialist in the field of AI or machine learning or you work at OpenAI, I would love to talk to you. So email me at hello at grantdryden.com and let's talk. So now let's go ahead and discuss what this thing really is and talk about how it could impact your life and mine as it kind of takes the world by storm. Chat GPT is a part of OpenAI's research in the field of artificial intelligence and natural language processing, or NLP. It's supposed to be a tool for researchers, developers, and businesses to improve their language-related tasks and automate their workflows. However, people have discovered that it will write code for you. It can generate blog posts, it can write your term papers for college courses, and do a ton of other things that you find helpful and useful. So it's pretty cool, but is also advanced enough to have some people wondering if it's sentient or alive. It has, in fact, recently passed exams for an MBA, a medical license, and the bar exam. So I'd argue that this doesn't show that ChatGPT is advanced so much as it exposes a flaw in how we test for competency. But nonetheless, it has society wondering where it fits in our landscape of technology and society in general. To get into the details here, ChatGPT is a neural network model. It was trained on a large data set of text using a technique called unsupervised learning. Don't worry, we're going to define these terms as we go through this. So think of a neural network like neurons in your brain. It really is all just a series of nodes with weighted connections between them. We can train these networks to perform tasks using a technique called unsupervised learning. Unsupervised learning is how ChatGPT was trained. And all that means is that it wasn't given labeled data or a specific task to perform. The neural net had to find patterns and relationships in its training data all on its own. With the end goal being to predict the next word in a sentence given the previous words. So why would you not want to label your data? Well, because not being guided allows the model to discover patterns and relationships within the data that may not be immediately obvious to humans. Like We couldn't label it in advance. And that sounds a little spooky to me, just letting some computational machine come to conclusions and group data uh, or learn from data. But that is what is so cool, I think, about uh, neural networks also and, and how you train them. Unsupervised learning can be particularly useful in tasks such as anomaly detection, where the model has to identify patterns or behaviors that deviate from the norm. In anomaly detection, the model may not be given any specific examples of what an anomaly looks like, but by learning the underlying patterns and relationships within the data, it can then be able to identify anomalies all on its own. So you've heard about AI that can identify cancer from MRI scans, and that would be a good example of what anomaly detection is. Additionally, unsupervised learning can be useful in tasks such as clustering, which involves grouping similar items together. In clustering, the model may not be given any labeled data, but by learning the underlying patterns and relationships within the data, it can then group similar items together without any guidance at all. And this is probably the aspect that was useful for ChatGPT. It's trying to understand relationships between words in language, and this could be assisted by clustering or grouping like items together. So in plain language, ChatGPT is a really complicated word predictor. It understands the relationship that words have to one another, and it was trained on a variety of languages, not just on English. So it can speak Spanish, French, German, Italian, and many more languages that it's been trained on. Now, I want to interrupt myself here because I I really don't want to sound dismissive or critical of what OpenAI has accomplished here. I think I'm being driven to learn more about their product due to the crazy response that people are having about it in general. It's being integrated into all sorts of workflows and systems, which I'll talk about in a bit. People are relying on it in college already. Software engineers are relying on it to write their software for them. And and a lot of us are just testing the bounds of what this thing's capable of. But the rise of AI in general is concerning to me because we really do not know how these things work. And again, we'll get to that in this episode. So I'm gonna take a slightly critical tone of the tool. I'm not critical of OpenAI or of ChatGPT specifically, but I'm more critical of the impact that it's having socially. And I, as a good engineer and scientist-adjacent individual, want to know how this thing works and how reliable and trustworthy it is before I want it integrated into my life. And I know what I know about AI at the moment is that we don't know why it makes the decisions that it does. We can train it and we know what the data set was used to make it come to the conclusion it comes to. But we don't know why it came to those conclusions, partly because it's difficult to unravel the graph of 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 neurons that are used to drive that decision-making process. OpenAI has done great work here, but ChatGPT is a word predictor. It's not a database of information that got indexed. It does not draw conclusions from the information that it was trained on. It isn't thinking in any real sense of the word. There's essentially no knowledge in ChatGPT. It is simply predicting the next word in a sentence that it itself is generating based on the input that you give to it. So if I tell it, my name is Grant, it may reply with, hello, Grant. It does this because it recognizes the pattern of somebody introducing themselves, not because it's responding to me with any sense of awareness like a human being does. At the same time, ChatGPT is also not just a massive dictionary of inputs that map to outputs like AIML used to be, if you're familiar with that. AIML stands for Artificial Intelligence Markup Language, and it's literally a map of inputs to outputs that used to be commonly used for chatbots. It's a massive XML file or a series of files, and ChatGPT is a language model that understands how words relate to one another in various languages. It's a very complicated graph, whereas AIML was basically inputs mapped to outputs with wildcards and tokens, and a very rigid computer sciency type approach to uh, a chatbot kind of an interface. I did a lot of work in early chatbots, and so if you are interested in in the history of chatbots before ChatGPT came around, uh, you should probably Google Eliza, E-L-I-Z-A, and Alice chatbots to kind of see how they used to be built and where they're at now, which is completely, it's a totally different landscape of computing, which is fascinating and I love it. It's super cool. Um, But really, I want to put ChatGPT in focus as to what this tool really is. And because AI and machine learning are really black boxes, even if we saw the graph of nodes in the neural network that is currently part of the ChatGPT mind, even if we saw the weights between the nodes, then it wouldn't even be comprehensible to us. Like if ChatGPT told me something that was incorrect, like grass is blue, for instance, you can't really debug why it said the wrong thing. It got its facts wrong, but why? And how do you start debugging it? At best, you could look for that incorrect fact in your training data and try to scrub it out. You might get lucky and find it, or you might not even find it there because it may not be present in the dataset. Something in the model may just be wrong, but it's not like you could physically observe the neural network and tweak the connections to fix that error. That is really just not how this works. There is, uh, in fact, a uh, a channel on YouTube that I watch sometimes called 3Blue1Brown, And they did a pretty good video on neural networks called But What is a Neural Network? Chapter 1, Deep Learning. And so I'm going to drop a link to that video in the description for this episode, uh, just to give you all additional uh, material here to learn about neural networks. And that really, I think that video will sum up why it's so difficult to debug a neural network and correct incorrect facts that are produced by the, the network. So what do you do if a neural network is just outputting garbage data or incorrect data? Well, instead of trying to tweak the nodes and the weights between them in your neural network, what you could do instead is to continue training the model with more unlabeled data in the hopes that your data set was just weak. More data could solve the problem, or you could send it through supervised learning as a next step in its training. And in fact, that is exactly what happens sometimes. Unsupervised learning can be used as a pre-training for supervised learning. The unsupervised learning part will help generate models of relationships in the data, which can then be taken into supervised learning to fine tune the neural net to perform a specific task with labeled data. This process generates a narrow AI which specializes in a particular task, and this is the most advanced AI that we can build at the moment. The next advancement would be to general AI that can perform many functions well, not just one. But we have never produced a general AI. So back to ChatGPT. Let's talk about its data model. Specifically, it is called a transformer model, which uses self-attention mechanisms to process and understand the input text. Self-attention is a mechanism used in neural networks, particularly in natural language processing tasks like ChatGPT specializes in. That allows the model to focus on specific parts of the input when making a prediction. It works by computing the relationship or quote-unquote attention between different parts of the input. This allows the model to weigh certain parts of the input more heavily than others when making a prediction, and this can improve the model's ability to understand and generate text. And we all do this to varying degrees of accuracy in our own conversations. If you're talking to someone about their weekend and they start with small talk about the weather and then they say their grandma passed away, you would probably weight that part of the conversation heavier than the weather that they had experienced. So the output you generate would probably address the news about their grandma and not the fact that it was rainy or whatever the other less important parts of the, of the conversation were. Or you could think of the specific words in a sentence. If someone tells you their name, if you aren't like me and entirely blank out and forget their name the second they tell you, then you're going to weigh that part of the sentence heavier than the others and use that as part of the context for the ongoing conversation, if you have to address that person directly. And that's what ChatGPT does, right? It weights certain part of the conversation heavier than others, uses that to build a context in order to have a conversation with you with its language model intact. So ChatGPT's training model process involves adjusting the values of the model's parameters to minimize the difference between the model's predicted output and the actual text in the training data set. Does that make sense? It's trying to make its output look like its training data, which is why the data that it gets trained on is so daggone important. If, once it does this, it's then capable of generating human-like text, answering questions, and performing other language-based tasks, because that's what the training data consisted of. It isn't thinking creatively about anything. It isn't conscious. It isn't even thinking about anything at all, in the general sense of that word. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. It is generative because it can generate new output thanks to its training, not just repeat parts of its data set. And generative models take a lot of data to train well. If you've seen any of the AI art that's being produced, those are all also generative models. It's pre-trained because it was trained on data before it is able to be utilized. It's not actively training on new data as you talk to it, although OpenAI has said that your conversations may be used as part of its training data in the future. I recently learned that Amazon is disallowing use of the tool because people are actually submitting confidential uh, company information into it. And apparently those chats are being picked up and used as new training data. So ChatGPT is actually leaking company secrets from inside Amazon, which is absolutely hilarious if you think about it. In our rush to use ChatGPT, a massive security hole has opened up that is uncontainable. Now, I focus a lot on InfoSec on this podcast, uh, ironically, since it's not an InfoSec podcast. Uh, And if I were an InfoSec professional, that would keep me up at night. But, you know, securing software is also part of a software engineer's job, so information security pops on here from time to time anyways. But I thought that was a very funny angle, both from like a business security perspective, but also from software engineering security perspective. So we talked about the G and the P in chat GPT. So what about the T? T means it's a transformer model. That type of model is very well suited to the problem of natural language processing. And we just discussed the Transformer model a little bit, uh, at least about how it can weigh different parts of the sentence to build the necessary context for a conversation, but there are more reasons why it's well-suited to NLP. Conversations and sentences can get long, and Transformer models can understand the relationship between words that are far away from one another. Although they do weigh the elements in a sentence differently, they pay equal attention to all of the elements in the sequence as they get thrown into its input stream. That may have been confusing. So in your mind, keep separate the model from inputs to it. So the model itself was trained on data. And then at some point in time, the model will stop being trained so that it can be used. So in this context, when I talk about text as an input to the model, what I'm saying is that we're throwing data at the fully trained model so it can generate a response. We're not further training the model at that point, We're using the model, and it won't change based on throwing new text at it in this manner. We could train it more, but generally when you're using a neural network like this, you're not also training it, right? Like you want it to stay stable so that you can throw data and generate an output and see how it's responding, but you don't want it to change while you're doing that. So GPT models can be fine-tuned for specific tasks such as language translation, text summarization, question answering, and more. If you've played around with ChatGPT, I'm sure you can see just some of the capabilities that it is able to perform. So they've been used in a variety of applications like chatbots, context generation, and other natural language processing tasks as well. GPT-3 specifically is one of the latest versions of GPT models and is considered one of the most advanced language models to date. It's trained on a diverse range of text and is capable of understanding and generating text in multiple languages, as I had said earlier. This is the series of model that runs ChatGPT. In fact, ChatGPT was fine-tuned on top of GPT 3.5 using supervised learning and reinforcement learning. So it's not simply GPT 3.0. This isn't like a, a, a fresh beta version of a tool. It was ChatGPT was built on top of a language model and then tweaked and iterated even more to produce what it is now. Now, it's not done... Right. I think if you go to OpenAI, you can access it and they still call it a beta version, but it's fairly well polished on the chat GPT three or sorry, on the GPT three platform. It's hard to keep those two things straight. I I realize now. So GPT three and chat GPT are two different things in my brain. At least I think of them in a similar manner to Chromium and Chrome, the web browser right? Chromium is in a free open source web browser and Chrome, the product by Google was built on top of Chromium, right? So it was a tweak. It was an iteration on that original model of open source web browser. And in my brain, ChatGPT is the same thing in relationship to the GPT-3 model. So I don't know if that helps you at all, but that's how I conceive of it at least. Now, as I was giving that explanation, I smuggled in a new term there. We have talked about unsupervised learning and supervised learning, but we didn't talk about reinforcement learning. And so ChatGPT was uh, further iterated on and trained and tweaked into a more narrow AI through those additional supervised and reinforcement learning processes. So those are the three types of learning methods, unsupervised, supervised, and reinforcement. And so let's talk about reinforcement learning a little bit. It's a a bit more complicated, I think, than the other types of learning. At least it is to me. In reinforcement learning, the focus is on finding a balance between exploration of uncharted territory and exploitation of current knowledge. So it doesn't use exclusively labeled or unlabeled data like the other learning mechanisms do, but it's more about exploration, and there's no optimal way to explore something new. You don't know what you're up against, and so you have to try a whole bunch of different techniques in, in some level of randomization to explore this new domain. There are many techniques for exploring, and if you're familiar with computer science, then you might be able to relate this learning style to dynamic programming. It's the process of simplifying a decision by breaking it down into a sequence of decision steps over time by defining a sequence of value functions. You're trying to optimize decision making, which is not really a computationally solvable problem. That is very similar, if not identical, to the traveling salesman problem, which you have probably heard about. I think everyone both in and out of computer science have heard of that one because it's an unsolvable problem. Mathematically, it has never been solved, right? So there is no algorithm to approach it in an optimal manner. But there are heuristics. And heuristics are not uh, repeatable steps, but they're general ways of approaching a problem. So you can explore things, um, and so that is the deal with reinforcement learning. It's a little bit more complicated to wrap your head around, uh, but it is another type of training. So I've talked about the data set that was used to train ChatGPT, but what was in that data set? So it was trained on a data set of several billion lines of text, just gobs and gobs of data. The dataset was composed of books, articles, websites, and many, many more things, which allowed it to have a large and diverse knowledge base to generate or answer text with different styles and on different topics. The majority of its knowledge is from 2021 or earlier, so, in the case of new words, idioms, or slang that's been created after that knowledge cutoff, it may or may not be aware of them. This depends on if any recent chats have been used to tweak its data set, which we know from Amazon that it has been. So let's see here. So is ChatGPT sentient or is it conscious? And I hope by now you get that the answer is no. This is true for not just ChatGPT, but for all of the other AI that you've heard about. The one produced by Google, where the engineer seemingly went crazy thinking that there was a a bot internal to Google that was sentient. That made the news recently. Meta has produced one uh, where I believe the bots were talking to one another or the AI were talking to one another and it rapidly devolved into their own language and vocabulary that a human couldn't understand. And so there are, you know, times when these... uh, Things have gone off on their own and appear to be doing things that make sense to them and not to us. And they they look like they're sentient or alive or or human-esque in some manner. But that's not at all what's happening underneath the hood. If If you take away anything from this podcast episode, it's that we're nowhere near advanced enough, either computationally or mathematically or just in terms of modeling a brain, to have emergent consciousness come from any of these AI. We're still very much in the infancy of narrow AI, where these things get trained and they're more like a tool, uh, a very smart tool, than they are like an organism. And that's a, a big distinction that I wanna make here. Now that's not to minimize the achievement of open AI here. ChatGPT and the GPT-3 model is the most advanced AI that we as a human species have ever built. So it deserves the recognition that is due of taking all of the most cutting-edge research and bundling it together into a package that's usable by people. The next step, they're releasing an API, and so you're going to see ChatGPT and all of the GPT products here more engaged in your life in day-to-day. If you have not already read blog posts created by AI or seen AI images in news articles from probably I think it was CNN, major news outlets are generating images to go along with their news articles that are all produced by AI. And if you right now at least you can kind of pick those things out if you're familiar with the type of art that gets generated by an AI, but this whole thing is going to impact our lives And it's coming if it's not already here. And over the next couple of years, you're going to see more and more AI integrated into your day-to-day life. And I think, honestly, it's going to be a good thing for everybody, but I don't want us to start worrying yet that these things are alive, that they are going to need a bill of rights for robots or AI eventually, I think. Yes, we will need that, but we're not there yet, although we may get there in my lifetime. I think that the future is a little unpredictable at the moment because we're not entirely sure just how much more rapid tools like ChatGPT or the GPT-3 model are going to accelerate the knowledge gain of the human species. These uh, tools have never existed before, and they've really thrown a wrench into the rate at which we learn new things. The key will be making sure the data is quality and gets quality checked as it kind of feeds itself into the neural network. And learns over time. We can rapidly evolve knowledge with these things though. And so your guess is as good as mine as to how quickly these tools are going to evolve into that more AI sentient robot bill of rights level of intelligence. Sorry for the three to four minute long rant there about uh, consciousness. But I think that topic is very relevant to ChatGPT. It was again one of the reasons why I wanted to produce this episode. So let's not lose sight of the fact, though, that uh, ChatGPT is nothing but a snapshot in time. It's not an evolving system actively. You have to train that thing. And so you got to take it offline, train it. And it's not perfect. It doesn't remember everything. It has a bound context for the conversation. So it really is more like a tool than like a, a person that you're talking to there, even if it feels like a person. So anyways, moving on. So creative ways to use ChatGPT. You can use it uh, some of the ways that we've already talked about, but also resume writing. Hello, it's uh, 2023 and layoffs has happened. So why don't you have ChatGPT, slice and dice your resume. What you can do is take a job description, tell it to ChatGPT, and then feed in a text version of your resume and say, hey, do I match this job description? Or give me some feedback on making my resume more suited to that job description and it will do a really darn good job at slicing and dicing your resume and making it fit the job description based on obviously your skill set and background and the match for the job so i'm not saying to have it fabricate a fake resume for you what i'm saying is it can give you feedback on your resume and make you look like a more attractive candidate for that job given that you have those skills already in your back pocket and maybe just aren't articulating them properly on your resume. It can also generate a pretty darn good cover letter for you uh, if you're wanting to do that as well. Now ChatGPT is a little bit uh, what's the right word, flat in its tone of voice, and so you definitely should be massaging the language in your resume and your cover letter after the the fact, right? Because it's gonna sound like a robot and you don't want to sound like a robot. You're not a robot. So you should be Handcrafting all of these different artifacts that go into the job search but i'm a realist as well knowing that some candidates out there are applying to 300 400 500 or more jobs that can get to be pretty uh, redundant and repetitive especially if you're looking for the same kind of jobs and so your cover letter may not change a whole lot between those applications same thing for your resume and so you want to produce the best one of those artifacts that you can modify them for the job apply and just keep at it as long as you need to Other, perhaps more fun ways that I've seen ChatGPT used are to generate workout routines, and this is one that I do myself. So I realized a couple of days back that I could ask ChatGPT to say, uh, let's see here. I want a moderately heavy workout that's going to focus on my arms and upper body and does not rely on gym equipment to perform. Can you give me four different exercises? Tell me the number of sets and reps that I need to do of each exercise in order to train that part of my body. And it will do that for you. It'll generate a random workout for you. And uh, w- the one that I got had like push ups, diamond push ups, bench dip, and some other stuff, right? And so. I think one of the things going into my workout routines that I've always been uh, a little frustrated by or annoyed by rather is that I have to generate that routine every time I go to the gym. And I've always wanted something to generate it for me. And it looks like ChatGPT may be that tool that can do it for me without me having to fill out a giant database of different exercises and come up with all of that on its own. So just a fun little side project that I got going on to help myself be more healthy in this upcoming year and to uh, give my time in the gym a little bit more variety. Another aspect of this tool that I've seen discussed recently is, is whether or not ChatGPT going to replace Google. And my answer right now is no. ChatGPT is a word predictor. It's not a giant store of knowledge. Yes, scientific papers, books, and publications, and other data sources were used in its training material. That's how it could get licensed to practice medicine, after all. But the tool is a language model first and foremost. It's going to be only as good as the data that was fed into it. And it's trying to generate words that make sense together, not solve problems. And if you think about it replacing Google, Google is a constantly changing machine. And I guess ChatGPT could be that as well but the this, the rate that the internet changes is just so rapidly fast. I'm not sure if that is a problem that could be solved with current computing limitations of whether or not ChatGPT would reasonably index things in the right amount of time. So I guess this will come down to how tools like GPT-3 are used in the maybe in concert with the Google search engine concept uh, maybe to enhance the user experience. So it's probably got a place, but I don't think it's going to replace Google uh, at the the whole company Google search level. So I was having a conversation with someone the other day at work, and we were discussing AI and how it could impact our jobs in tech. And the whole train of thought came up that ChatGPT GPT and GPT-3, they're not perfect. They're only as good as the data set that was used to train them. And I got to thinking, do we even need perfection in our AI? And I'm not sure we do, at least not across the board in all applications of AI. We just need the AI to be as good or better than a human performing the same task in most cases. I know that idea is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable when it really comes down to it, especially if we start to think about self-driving cars and airplanes. Will it ever be socially acceptable for a robot to crash our car by accident? I don't know. I hope so. I would gladly take an imperfect robot driver who is better than a human, than a human driver any day, but that's just me. So applying AI to our jobs in tech, if we could get AI to provision AWS infrastructure, set up our ingress and egress, our identity and access management, Route 53 connections, and all of these other things that we do in the cloud, even if it wasn't 100% perfect, that may still be about as good as a human can do. I don't know of any DevOps or infrastructure engineer who sets everything up perfectly the first time anyways. So we just find ourselves in the position of having our AI build something, then write its own tests, or vice versa if it's doing test-driven development, and then perform maintenance work on its own deliverable to fix bugs that it may have introduced. Wouldn't that be funny? To not seek perfection in our AI, but to give it the tools to constantly improve? It'd be like Robot Kaizen. And that's one way AI automation could start out at least, not achieving perfection, but seeking constant improvement like we do right now as humans. But I think I've fully covered this topic for now, at least in so much as I uh, feel is important to cover, and I may have even ranted a little too much. But I hope you enjoyed hearing my musings, and if you agree or disagree with me on any point or have subject matter expertise in this field, then please send me an email at hello at grantdryden.com so we can chat. Speaking of which, I'm going to be doing an episode in the future, in the very soon-to-come future, where it's not just me talking to you. I've been getting requests for about two years now to have guests on the podcast, and that is going to take this hobby of mine into a whole new direction. It's honestly a little intimidating to think about recording a whole episode with somebody. It's the doing it live part that's intimidating, but also the fact that I won't get to actively slice and dice that and edit the audio as I record it. That's my current process, is to flub words about every fifth word, stop the recording, and then re-record that section and keep going. But I'm going to finally have somebody on the show because you keep asking for it, and I am happy to do that. Uh, I think it's pretty cool, honestly, that people listen to this podcast and have asked me to, to do things like that on it. So... It's a, a great moment in my life. So, no spoilers about what we're going to talk about. But if after I produce it, if you like it and that's something that you want to see more of, please let me know. Drop a rating on Apple Podcasts and, and tell me I'm doing a good job. A few kind words is highly motivating and it goes a really long way. So, thanks for listening. I'm going to drop into the podcast episode notes a link to the three blue, one brown neural networks video that I had discussed earlier, as well as a nice article I found on the history of chatbots for additional reading. So, So give those a look, and I will see you again next time.